Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hello and welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We are here once again talking to you all from the close of the latest UFC event going down in London, England at the O2 Arena. A heavyweight top contenders bout between Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall cut short just 15 seconds into the bout due to a, a freak knee injury from Tom Aspinall. And I'm going to once again argue, Eddie, that this should be a technical submission for Curtis Blades. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I'm glad you got to it before I did because I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, no, no. This is, saying, this, this, whatever it is you're doing, you need to stop, okay? <laughs> this is two weeks in a row. I'm sick of it. Knock it off. <laughs> Dolls down. Stop the, the, the heebie-jeebies. Like, just quit it. Yeah. You got it's got to be your fault, right? That's it's true. It, it, you know what? I finally I bought the whole wall of UFC Funko Pops and I've been voodoo dolling <laughs> fighters at random for like the past 6 months and it's finally starting to work and now I'm full of regret. So I really it's a bit of an own goal as they say in the UK. Yeah, man. This is this was a total bummer, man. It really yeah. looked like this was going to be a banger too. It really, it was a, it was starting fun. It started just the way I thought it would, with Tom Aspinall going out there and trying to impress his speed and aggression on Blades from the jump. And all credit to Blades, he answered that perfectly. He was prepared. He was firing back one twos every time Aspinall stepped in. He was cracking Aspinall. You can even say if you want that as freaking injury as this was, it was partially, you know, it may have partially have been due to the fact that. Aspinall was eating a one-two off that low kick he landed, and he had to try to pull back as fast as he could to get out of there. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna actually give Curtis Blades credit for it, this. Is about as freaking injury as it can be, where you land a, a low kick to the meat of somebody's thigh and your knee blows out. Um, you know, there's no real correlation to to give there, but. It it's a it was it was set up to be a, a really fun fight is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it, it it had that intensity from from Jump Street, and I was like, oh, here we go, and then it yeah. was over, and I'm like, what? Yeah. Damn that Zane Simon, I knew it. Damn it. <laughs> Damn me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's honestly it's really hard to say what caused the injury. I mean, I watched the replay several times, and I still I have no idea the exact moment it happened. Did it happen from kicking blades? Did it happen from planting his foot down from it? Did it happen because uh, he was getting punched as he was coming back from it, yeah. and it caused him to land weirdly and. Like there's, there's, we'll never really know. Yeah, the knees are fragile and these boys are big. That's really all there is to it at this point, you know. Could yeah, be. It's really, it's really shitty, man. Because he it was is. down for some time. They had to bring the brace yeah. out and wheel him to the exit of the octagon. And then you he, watch him hopping down the stairs, and he's just in so much agony. Yeah, that's the thing too, is that he's in serious pain, and it's. I mean, because the thing, the thing too is, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm writing up my like post-fight matchmaking stuff as I'm going and all that, and like the thing I want to do is just turn around and be like, well, you got to book Blade Aspinall again, right? We didn't see the fight. It was cool. It was gonna be cool. It's a fun booking. It's a meaningful fight. But if Aspinall's gonna be out for a year, that you can't. 
Campbell. Yeah, no. I mean, this this could be a career ender. We don't know. Like, I this hope. is. I'm afraid it's not. Yeah. I don't even. If you put the voodoo doll down, maybe it won't be. Yeah. But yeah. This this looked down. really bad. This looked really bad to where we're talking. At, I would say at least six months minimum before he can probably even start training again. Oh yeah, I mean, with any knee injury, six months is just like a safety. Just like yeah, if you if you are a miracle healer and you don't need surgery, you might be able to come back then. But if he doesn't get surgery, then you have to start, you know, then you get into that territory that so many fighters have been in where they have a knee injury that reoccurs for like three years running because they keep trying to do grafts and do platelet therapy and all sorts of stuff like that and anything other than surgery because they don't want to have that like year, year and a half off where they have to rehab all the way through. And yeah, that's, that's really tough. Yeah. Who but knows? He is pretty young for the division. So yeah. it's, he has time. He does. And we've seen people come back from knee injuries before. Yeah. I mean, I have teammates that, that's like blew out their meniscus and still came back to become world champions in jujitsu. So I've seen it happen. We've seen it happen. Yep. We can't just write them off. No. Um, but like rebooking this match anytime soon, like definitely no. not. Yeah. Instead, you know, Curtis Blades probably got to be looking. He's got to be looking at that fight between Tai Tuivasa and Cyril Gunn and thinking, you know, I want the winner of that bout. Yeah. And he, if, yeah. And that's, that would be, that puts him right there. Uh, as a, as a title contender, he's yep. still in the mix. Like he's only been beaten by Naganu twice and Derek Lewis, who are the two heart heaviest hitters in the UFC. I'll say. Yeah. And aside from that, he's been all aces. He has a, a specific skill set that you have to account for, and most people can't handle that. Um, so he's definitely top tier, top shelf, yeah. class yep. act too. The way he handled this this moment. Absolutely. Um, and with Ngannou... You know I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know who I feel bad for? Mm. Everyone that bet on Tom Aspinall. Oh, yeah. My heart goes out to them. I mean, I kind of feel bad for everybody in the arena, too. I mean, not only do they have to live with the lifetime debilitating illness of being English, but... Damn! They... <laughs> what is wrong with you, Zane? <laughs> What is going on with you? Hey, therapy, dude. <laughs> this is, but, uh, like this is seventeen seventy six. That's right. That's on? right. Come on. But uh, not only the that. war is over, Zane. The war is over. <laughs> it's never over in my heart. No. Uh, but this card sucked. I mean, there's no two ways about it. There were a there was a short block of fights right in the middle. Where for a bright shining moment, things got fun, and then everything else was just bad. Yeah, like, I like the main card. The main card was was great. Of course, the anticlimactic main event is always going to be a, a black spot. Yeah. But I, and and the co-main was kind of stale also. And and the co-main was kind of stale. And you know, in a vacuum, it would have been fine maybe. But coming off of a really lame prelim card. To open up with like Paul Craig's guard pulling. And I love that though. Like yeah, I, I, I love weird, watching that. 
Like it honestly could have ended after Patty Pimblett teabagged Jordan Levitt. Like they could have yeah. ended it there, and and I would have been great with it. Yeah. But, but yeah, as, as the the prelims were just, I, I was struggling to stay awake. Like, yeah. They were really really bad, and this yeah. was a daytime card, and I'm struggling to stay awake. Yeah, it it was it was a rough outing for the UFC. Their last London event was epic. Everybody who got a finish got a bonus on this. If uh, you know, I'm 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 all I, I want everybody who got a finish on this card to get a bonus as well. But you know, Dana White's probably sitting there looking like uh, maybe I just don't have to pay anybody. Maybe I'll just hold all those all all the paychecks back. Oh, he'll he'll pay Patty for sure. Oh Molly. yeah, yeah, he'll pay Patty. It's true. Patty and Molly. He'll pay Molly too because she's uh she's uh promoting his uh liquor on the low. That's and yeah no I mean and they they have been going out there hard too being company men and advertising for UFC and being like oh you know they treat us so well they shouldn't even have to pay us you know if I. If I didn't, you know, have a rent to pay, I would fight here for free kind of stuff. Not right. that I actually said that, but, you know, they're saying UFC pays fighters well enough and that they love getting the good travel accommodations from the UFC and all that kind of weirdness. So they, they'll, they'll get their bonuses, but this was just, it was rough. It was a rough night. It was especially It was rough, especially if you're a Gustafson fan. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so let's jump over here, though. In the meantime, to a middleweight bout: Jack Hermanson, Chris Curtis, and um, you know, uh, Chris Curtis did not do himself any favors out there. Like, no, I get he, it. You you went out. You took this fight on short notice. It's a big opportunity. It shouldn't be. It should be win win. Should be a fight where Curtis shows up. He performs well in a loss. People are still like, oh man, well he turned up on short notice. He took the fight, all that. But he showed up, and Jack Hermanson just outworked him, and Curtis treated it like Hermanson was running away from him and didn't want to fight him and. It kind of, you know, if, if at least if Twitter was anything to judge by, people were not were not having it. They were not thrilled by Curtis sitting there like flipping him off and jawing right. at him after the fight and all that. And it's just like, man, if you're that mad when the fight is over, you should have expressed a little of that in the cage right. with some functional aggression. Not only that, but perhaps if he would have flipped the bird during the match, maybe he could have. Because the second he he flipped the bird when the fight was over, Hermanson yeah. went right at him. Yeah, and he met him with that sort of aggression. So maybe if he would have done that in the cage, he could have enticed, maybe drawn him into more of a a close quarters matchup. But yeah. I'll say this: so this wasn't the most exciting fight. Um, the second round was pretty cool. We did have a moment there, but just like. The prelims, we we got a lot of intelligent performances that didn't equate to excitement. Yeah. High five Q, lot of lot of smart fights, right? A lot that, of fights that, that you want to as a coach, you would want to see your fighters do. Yeah. As a fan, you're just like, ah, come on. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things too for me where like if I'm seeing a lot of smart fighters win, my problem isn't with them winning, it's with the person losing. You know, sure. like what sure. Curtis, it's like what 
I mean, I know that you train with Sean Strickland all the time, but you should be learning. Like, you you should know how to cut the cage off better than this. Right. You know? Sean, you Strickland cut he cut uh, Hermanson off better than that. He also was just taller and longer and able to compete with, with Hermanson at his own range, which is, I think, what Curtis really lacked here in this fight. But... It's just, you know, you, you've been out there, you're like 30 fights into your career and you're out there chasing this guy down without a kicking game. If all you're going to do is try and box somebody taller than you when they're on the back foot, how can you blame them for kicking you to pieces, you know? Well, you can't blame him at all if you're not yeah. cutting. Well, you get you have to credit Hermanson for fighting smart, fighting long, and staying on the outside. Yeah, He's yeah. fantastic footwork. And sure. and Curtis just couldn't cut off the cage, and he couldn't. and and I, I you know it always tickles me when when fighters they're like oh you were running and you were running and it's like well there's there's plenty of fighters what? who are pretty pretty uh, savvy at at cutting off the cage and not letting people do that to them. Yeah, you don't see people you don't see Peter Jan letting anybody run away from him, and he's like five foot four. Yeah, you know? I mean I always think of Mike Tyson. Sure. Like Mike Tyson was like the shortest guy out there. Everyone had the range on him. Everybody was on their bike against him. But like he still he would cut you off. And mm-hmm. no matter which way you were trying to go, he found a way to cut you off and put hands on you. And he made up for that lack of length with with yeah. uh, with just fantastic footwork and, yeah. and head movement and finding your ways to get on the inside. And Curtis didn't do that. He was trying oh. to he was he was like you said, he was trying to box. Um, but just from ranges that that didn't suit him, and he couldn't, he didn't have an answer for that, and and he got frustrated. Yeah, it it just to me like I don't the thing. Hey, I'll say this too: only one fighter in that fight got warned for turning their back on their opponent, and it was not Jack Hermanson. You know, right. Curtis can talk I mean, about running all he wants, but he's the guy who turned around, and you know, went back to the center of the cage and had a ref turn. You know grabbing him and telling him, hey, don't turn your back on your opponent or I'll ding you for it, you know, like or you, you get a warning. Like, if, if you're facing somebody and they can't still can't catch up to you, that is their fault, you know? Not only that, but he was also the only one that got wobbled in that fight. Yeah. Like, he yeah. got rocked in that second round, in the second round, and he started backing up. Yeah, exactly. And Hermanson went after him and started throwing those tomahawk elbows, which I love to mm-hmm. see. That was real, mm-hmm. real clever and crafty. He was flurrying on him, and he was much closer to finishing the fight. So, like, yeah. you can sit there and say, you know, you were running, but, yeah, he also, uh, you know, hurt you there in that second round. So Yeah, I don't. Like I say, it's really, it's too bad because I like what Curtis has been. I love the run Curtis has had in the UFC. I love the way he's carried himself around the UFC and like all the footage and all the stuff and all that. I'm here, you know, actively rooting for for the dude. And this was, this was a win-win. This was a short notice fight against a very good opponent. All he had to do is show up and put on a good hard fight and people would credit him. You know, it wouldn't be a big knock against him to lose a scrappy decision to to Jack Hermanson. Yeah, but, it was. T- and the funny thing is, like, he had his most success there in the third when, you know, the footwork of Hermanson started to slow down a little bit and he was able to get on the inside. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's just it's it's poor um, generalship, like yeah. poor 
poor and footwork. It, and a lot of it, too, he got close enough to to hit Hermanson at many points in that fight, and he just didn't... He also wanted... He didn't want to be the one to lead. He wanted to counter. And yeah. I especially don't have time for that when you're then claiming about talking about people running. It's like, yeah, but you walked... You got in range to throw stuff, and you didn't throw it because you wanted him to go first. And he just kicked you, and then you didn't have an answer. Like, what... Right. What's, you know... Yeah, too much following, for sure. Yep. Anyway... Uh, for Hermanson, he called. He, he said he'd be fine with the UFC rebooking Darren Till, and considering that I don't really, there's not really a good option for Darren Till in the middleweight division right now. It's probably exactly what he's going to get because it's not what he wants at all. <laughs> no, nah, I mean it, it is not what he wants in the least bit. Yeah, but if he's willing to take it, the UFC will give it to him. Yeah, that's that's just maybe maybe he'll get pressured into it, but. Uh, judging by his post-fight interview, he, he's not trying to get rebooked for a third time against Darren Till yeah. and then have to end up getting a short-notice opponent. True, true. Because, I mean, the other options right now is like, you know, do we do Jack Hermanson, Derek Brunson? Uh, if Brunson is even going to be around. Yeah. Because after I don't, that, I don't like that fight, but I mean, you, you not liking a Derek Brunson fight? I this is a, because I don't I don't think Hermanson's on his way to a title. So like, sure, why why fair. waste why waste that gatekeep? That yeah, but then, of, I mean, I guess Hermanson. after that you're just talking about like Drickus Duplessis or Duplessis or Andre Mooney's or something yes, like that. Yep, I'm here for that. But you know, it also feels a little like Hermanson, you know, should be somehow above that. Like why? I don't know. It's just because the what he's so inconsistent. Like, yeah, I guess. Let him get two wins together. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Patty Pimblet, Jordan Leavitt, and you know, you can say what you want. Pimblet, he's he's struggled in every fight he's had in the UFC. There are no like clean, perfect victories for him out there. You can talk about him being overhyped. You can talk about him being annoying. You can talk about whatever you want. There is no denying that the dude is thrilling every time he fights and that this was absolutely the most thrilling thing on the card. Yeah, this was electric. Uh, first round, it was very just grindy, and Levitt was really having his fight and getting his positions and and losing making... on the judges, which I love to see. Yes, yeah, because he was. I mean, he. I don't think he threw a single strike to yeah. my recollection, unless I'm I missed something. There might have been one right hand or a couple of body front kicks that he loves, but nothing big. It was all the damage, all the submission attempts were from Patty Pimblett in that first round. So, oh, I mean, absolutely, the yeah. damage and the the sub attempts, um, and it really shows how clever Patty is as a grappler. Like he's mm-hmm. always looking for submissions, always you know finding those those gaps and looking for ways to, and that's the thing. Like if you're not going to be like positionally dominant. Like you better be clever. Yeah. Like the the more fun 
fundamental you are, the less clever you have to be. Mm -hmm. The less fundamental you are, the more clever you need to be. And Patty is that. He's he's opportunistic. He finds a way. Like that finishing sequence was just so gorgeous. Like he's in a bad position. He's up against the cage and he manages to lock up like a, a head and arm triangle from this funky, unorthodox position mm -hmm. and then uses that to smash the face with a knee. And Levitt's like, what was that? And then quickly spins to the back traps the arm with his legs and gets the rear naked choke and then two yeah. bags the dude like, yeah man, i know what what in the world that's he, he's finding ways to just to make these performances memorable and electric yep, yep. yeah i mean i may think i i personally am just like okay that's childish but whatever but it is it, the whole thing as a package you know, there's no, there's no question. He doesn't ever have to be a title contender for the. Or he doesn't have to be a champ. He'll probably some at some point the UFC might find a way to wiggle him into title contention, but he's always going to be people, somebody people show up to see. And it's like it's like Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they don't have to. They don't have to fight world beaters. Although O'Malley's booked against Peter Yan, which is wild. And I yeah. Think. That is wild. Yeah, well, hey, if, you, if he if if he wants to live that life, I am not gonna. Who am I to stop him? You know, I'm doubtful if he'll even make it to the fight. But good on him. Yeah, hopefully he does, and that happens. But but the 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 resemblance is there. Like these guys have yeah. this following to where they can pick and choose. They don't mm -hmm. have to. They're not at the mercy of the UFC, so to speak. They can call their own shots because they are such a draw and they know it. Yeah, and, I mean, Patty's even already said like he fights. He's he's gonna fight pretty much like once a year because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to fight more than that. Yeah, he, he's you know he's making money outside of the outside of the cage constantly. There's no reason for him to be taking, you know, to be fighting on any kind of hard schedule. Although he yeah. has actually fought twice this year, but the UFC the made two trips to London. He's got he's going to be on every London card. Right, and the tea bag is childish, but he did call it. So I, he did. I mean, he's a man of his word. Yeah, like, you know, they, the kids like the kids. What can I? What can I do? I'm getting old here. You know, they. What's nuts? What's what's nuts? Excuse yeah. the pun. <laughs> what's nuts is like. You know, he goes on to uh, he teabags so he like demoralizes someone, right? He submits them and then he teabags them, and then he goes on to say, "Men need to talk about their feelings," <laughs> which yeah. is a hundred percent true, and I'm on board and I agree with it. But it's like, damn, make sure you go tell Jordan Levitt that because you just yeah. completely demoralized this man on national yeah, television. You went and humiliated somebody publicly, and then you're like, you know, but mental health is a serious issue. And whatever you're dealing with, like reach out and talk to somebody about it. <laughs> it the, the man is the man is no stranger to living a contradiction. If you follow his social media and all all that, he's you know. We we don't ask fighters to be geniuses with their with their messaging. Yeah, but this was this was so much fun. I mean, you have yeah. to wonder like. Like how many times can Pimblet just find a way to get the finish before someone just grinds him out for a decision? But or knocks hey. him out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah. But I either think... either way, I think he'll get grinded to a decision before he gets knocked out. Like the dude's tough, he's got a chin, and like he he can he can find ways to um get the fight to the ground and 
yeah. and at least maybe not like he'll jump guillotines and put himself in bad positions. But I, I think he'll definitely lose a decision before he gets knocked out, in my personal opinion. I, I but st- at least it's fun. Yeah, it's all fun. That's what I'm saying. Is you know, if we're watching this to be entertained, you can't you can't deny that Patty Pimblet isn't entertaining. And I am still here to campaign and I'm gonna keep doing this as long as they're both in the UFC and they're both winning on these sort of parallel schedules. Book Patty Pimblet against Jim Miller. I wanna see that fight. I, I, wow. Hmm. I just, I, ah, I, here's my thing with that. I'm liking Patty Pimlet. Like I'm feeling his energy, mm-hmm. but don't you dare disrespect Jim Miller. <laughs> right. Like, don't you dare. If I swear one sideways word from Pimlet about Jim Miller, we'll lose my fandom. And I, I'm, I don't know if I want to risk that. Okay. Fair if enough. he teabagged Jim Miller, like, <laughs> He would he he would be completely off of my uh my yeah, I would unfriend yeah. him. I would he would be him. he would be banned from all future future cookouts and social events and hundred percent. Yeah. No, I I get it. I just I think it would be the perfect kind of fight to make it you know, to make use of his celebrity, you know, to put him into a matchup that is people are gonna look at that fight and be like, Okay, that's an interesting test. Miller's Miller can knock people out. He can submit people. He can wrestle and grapple. And he's been looking good lately. And he likes to, you know, he's good to, for like showing some young upstart fighter a thing or two. But he's not unbeatable. He's not unbreakable. And it's a fight that Pimblet could absolutely win. And it would be a name win. And it's not so dangerous that you'd just be like, oh, you know, let's throw P- Pimblet in there with Ilya Tapuria or something. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a dangerous fight for Pimblet. Uh, yeah. Definitely, like, jumping right into fully seasoned Jim Miller. Sure. It's a very interesting matchup. I, I, I would like to see the matchup. I don't want to see the yeah. buildup. Okay, okay, fair enough. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout, Nikita Krylov, Alexander Gustafsson. <laughs> and, yeah, Connor and I, our whole thing when we broke this fight down this week is, like, there's a time four or five years ago that you would never pick Nikita Krylov to win this fight. Never. Just every single time you make this fight a hundred times, you're picking Alexander Gustafsson to win like 90 of them. Mm -hmm. And over the last few years, there have been so many warning signals that Gus's head is not in the game. More than his physical, more than any one physical thing. It's not getting submitted by Fabricio Verdum. Is like, oh yeah, Gus is physically washed because that happened, or something like that. Or getting knocked out in the the rematch against John Jones is like, oh, he's just not there anymore. It, but in all of these fights, you know, the fight he had with Anthony Smith, he was pretty lethargic and he just kept waiting for him to click and for things to start working for him. And they just never did the fight with Verdum. He looked notably panicked from the moment that that fight got going. And you can be like, Oh yeah, well, Verdum's a wizard on the ground, but we just saw Alexander Volkov go in there and tangle with Fabrizio Verdum on the ground just before that fight and come away with a win. 
And then there's all the weight, you know, he went up to heavyweight and you're like, oh, okay, he, he retired first. Then he goes up to heavyweight and he loses and he immediately drops back down. And you're like, oh my God, okay, this is not great. And then he was going to get booked with Paul Craig. That fight gets canceled. And then he jumps back up to heavyweight and he's going to fight Ben Rothwell. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? And then that fight gets canceled and he drops right back to light heavyweight and he's fighting Nikita Krylov. And at that point, you're just kind of like, what's going on? What, I what mean, you, he, you can say he hasn't been the same since Rumble knocked him out. You, in that, I mean, that is the, the real honest truth is that he hasn't been the same since Rumble knocked him out. But these last couple of years, it's just been all worry. And going into this fight, it was hard to do anything other than worry. And then Nikita Krylov just buzzsawed him. Which like, was the thing to do. Like, yeah. high five Q for Krylov, surprisingly. Like, yep. that's what he needed to do. This was not the time to stay at range and pick your shots and be reserved or timid. This nope. was the time to storm someone's castle. Yep. And he did just that. Like, man, like, one of the very first punches he threw, overhand right, drops Gus. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah, I was like, I was honestly, I was surprised Gustafson was able to weather as much of the storm as he did and like I mean, start firing back. That shocked me. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. I don't think Gus's chin is gone so much as it is that I think his his focus is his confidence is shot. You know, well, I, I, it's a combination. I think his confidence is definitely shot. And yeah. his reaction to getting hit isn't very good. Yeah. But also just like his timing, like he doesn't have the timing for, for real time fights anymore. Yeah. Like his real time fight speed is gone. Yeah, it really like, is. Like think about like when he fought Jones that first time and he comes out, like he's, he's using his footwork and skirting around and, and looking real nimble. And he's so much more heavy-footed now and planted in place and rooted into the mat that, like, all his speed yeah. has just deteriorated. His reflexes aren't what they used to be. And Krylov really just made the most of that. Yep. It, it, it was a incredible – it was as bad an outing as you could have expected from – as you could have anticipated from Gus and – yeah, I don't know where he goes from here. It's like, like I say, he's already, you know, he's already talked about, he, he retired, walked away, and then he's bounced around between divisions. He has, it just, he hasn't looked like, not only has he not looked physically there, he hasn't looked mentally there, and it's really hard to watch somebody get in the cage when they when they look like they don't want to fight. I'm going to be honest with you, Zane. I expected to see some gloves in the octagon after this one. Yeah. I was like, like, oh, he's going to retire at the O2 Arena. Like, okay. Like, he's had a lot of success here. Like, it makes sense. It's probably as close to Sweden as we'll get in a while. Like, I... I was expecting... I was expecting the speech and the farewell. Like, this is four, like, really bad finishes. Like... Like, you're getting choked by Anthony Smith. Like, Smith is a, a solid grappler, right? But, like, yeah. like you were saying earlier about uh, picking Krylov against him, like, you would have never done that in 2014. No, no, never. And it's just, it's, it's, 
there's no success to be had here, I don't think, anymore. Like the sports passed him by. He had or, his Or if there like, is success to be had here to the level that it is just, just totally uninteresting, you know? Like I, I did I I found a fight that Ale, that Alexander Gustafson can take in the year of our Lord, twenty twenty two, coming off this win. Or coming off this loss. And you know what it is? Is it uh, at two oh five or a heavyweight? At two oh five. Johnny Walker? I don't know. Gustafson Shogun 2. Holy shit, Zane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that is it though. Like Yeah. You know, I don't I don't need to see him in anything more relevant than that. Like a double retirement fight, maybe. Pretty much. Like like win or lose, we're both just calling yeah, it at this yeah. point. Yeah. Like you guys get a, a chance to ride into the sunset with some epic war hopefully and uh that's like that's all you can ask because i don't i don't you know so what what are we gonna otherwise have him fight like ed herman and osp like i don't i don't care right you know well you know what though now that i'm thinking about it you could put him in there with paul craig i i don't want to see i don't care like I wouldn't pick Gustafson in that fight ever right now. You can't pick Gustafson in a fight. He hasn't won no. since 2017. No, but I would I, I I at least I would be it would be a coin flip between him and Shogun right now. Yeah, it's it's tough to pick Shogun also. <laughs> yeah. Um so Yeah. We don't need to spend more time depressed by it. You're right. But, I'm getting sad. Yeah, let, let's talk about this woman's flyaway bout. Molly McCann, Hannah Goldie. Oh, first of all, Krylov did also call out Volcano Uzdemir after the fight, which is smart because that is a very gettable fight for Krylov. It is further up the division. They're both coming off a win. I don't like matching guys coming off the same card together, but if they made that fight, I would not be. I would not turn my nose up at that at all. Why don't you like people on the same card going at it? it well, just because from a matchmaking, writing up the matchmaking editorial perspective, it's just lazy. It's always like the first thing anybody thinks of is like, oh, these two fight just fought on the same card. Let's match them up together. It's like, no, be be more creative. Put more thought into it. Put more work into it. From Krylov's perspective, yeah, it's a totally natural fight. Yeah, it's, it's a solid call. And a trip to Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? All right. That brings us to a woman's flyaway bout. Molly McCann, Hannah Goldie. And um, this was set up to be a very winnable fight for Molly McCann, and she turned in a very good performance in it. I even had somebody on Twitter jumping in being like, they need to give Molly McCann two straight finishes. She needs a top five opponent. And I was just like, wow, okay. This whole, like, McCann, Pimblet hype thing, like, they're, I like them. They're fun, entertaining fighters. But we need to pump the brakes on that and have Molly McCann fight anybody even close to being ranked right now and try to get a win before anything like that happens. Yeah. I mean, the smart move is, is to like Patty, like put him in there with yeah. winnable fights, lower level opposition that, you know, the, the could smart, produce outcomes like this. one. There's one very smart fight right there from out there from Molly McCann right now. Who's that? Antonina Shevchenko. Oh sure, like that is a, uh, I'm a I'm a Shevchenko fan. I, I like yeah. her style. She's it's, coming it's off an a win. match. 
and it's it's a name it's a name fight to get you know it's the kind of it's the kind of mid card action fight where people you know once again if you've got casual enough fans who are watching this event for Molly McCann and talking about her for a title shot them seeing her in there against uh, a Shevchenko is gonna you know gonna fool some people pull the wool over <laughs> yeah I don't even think she wins that fight but but it I mean you know I'm here for it yeah sure. It's, it's sure. a, it's a contest because otherwise you're looking at like Aaron Blanchfield or uh oh what's her name at the bottom of the division who just got a solid who uh, is dating Brian Ortega um Tracy Cortez you know you're looking mm. at Blanchfield Cortez Amanda Hebus. Like those are your women floating around the edges of the bottom of the top fifteen, and I would not pick McCann in any of those fights at all. Uh, yeah, it's tough to pick McCann. Um, it's got to be a real favorable matchup, like this one was. Yeah, this, yeah. this one was almost tailor made for her. Yeah, and, she, and reached- she showed up too. We got to give yeah. her credit because she came out. She lands that big overhand, and then she just knew, like, let me. Sp- just leap into the spinning elbow yep. and caught Hannah clean and then proceeded with this flurry that I think Goldie went unconscious on her way to the mat. I think mm-hmm. hitting the mat mm-hmm. might have w- woke her back up. This was a fantastic finish. The place went crazy. You yeah. know, she jumps into the crowd, which I thought was frowned upon, but still happens. And she's well, a fighter no- of the people. She's she's a people's champion. Yeah, there's no commission in the UK, so so it's the UFC is the only rules she's got to contend with over there. Yeah, and she's she's in England. She's the people's champ. You know, she yeah. gets she gets this huge knockout. She celebrates. She goes cage side and takes a shot with uh, who Joanna, was it? Joanna, Michael, Chandler. Michael Chandler. It's like well, this is yeah. this is exciting. This is fun, and this is what the yeah. people want to see. Yeah. So. Keep her in England. Keep keep giving her fights like this, and you know she'll put asses in seats. Yeah, and... when you give her a competitive fight, she much like Pim, but she shows up every time. You're gonna you are getting a fun fight out of Molly McCann. So, yeah, absolutely. Just keep her in. The, as I say, you know, like the Shevchenko fight or something like that. Keep it fun. Keep it somebody notable. Keep you know, kind of notable, kind of interesting if you can. Every now and then. And uh, just keep it like mid-card action bouts that she can shine in. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Volkan Ozdemir, Paul Craig. And I had a feeling this fight was coming for Craig sooner or later. Light heavyweight. I know the grappling is bad in light heavyweight. And you can catch just about anyone in that division with a sub on the right day. But there is a point where, like a few of your top 10 fighters are like, you know what? I've taken a few grappling classes before I can avoid a little bit of this enough that I just, I don't have to have this kind of fight. And Ustamir made like, he was right on the edge there because he got caught on the ground, up on the ground grappling with Craig more than a few times. He was just heavy enough on top and good enough with his top control that he could make Craig pay a lot more than Craig could uh, threaten him beyond that first leg lock attempt. Another high five Q performance. Yeah. You know, like you were saying, he was positionally smart enough and and didn't get overzealous with his ground and pound. 
yeah. and was able to escape those hairy positions and, and stay within himself long enough to get to the third round and really start letting his strikes go. Yeah. Like he he made it count when he needed to and 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 fell back when he had to and stuffed those terrible guard pulls that are so much fun for me to watch. Yeah. Like it's just it's it's sloppy in a way that is is so freak showish that oh yeah it it, it adds it adds a, a you know a level of excitement for me. I, especially I, like because this is this is the first main card fight so this was yeah. after these this this log of a prelim card. And then we get Paul Craig out there jumping guard at 205 pounds. It's yeah. like, yes. yes. I, I do not have any distastes. I, 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 love, I love that the guard pullers of the world exist out there. If you are a fighter who likes pulling guard, I will always enjoy watching you fight. I will just also take extra catharsis for watching you lose that fight. Because, <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's... It is the, you know, it is like, it's such a troll move to do. It's such a like, oh, I'm going to, you know, like, I'm going to make you have this really weird, I'm going to make you have the worst, ugliest fight possible or lose. And those are your options. You have to have a terrible fight of grappling with me or you or or avoiding my grappling or you are going to jump into a dumb submission and lose and those are the op- the options and you know i credit to paul craig for going out there and doing it credit for volcanoes demir going out there and stuffing it and if you stuff it the, the fighter do the fighter pulling guard should lose like if i were judging you know and, and for my own personal scorecards i am automatically looking at eight because they do they talked about this a little during the fight of like, oh, well, how do you ju- how do you score a guard pull kind of thing? And Bisping's like, well, it's a, it's intentional. It's what the fighter who's trying to grapple wants to do. So, do you score against them and all that? I'm like, absolutely, you scored against them because it's a sacrifice move. Nah, no, it's not. No, yes, no, no. I I strongly disagree. I don't see it any different than getting a takedown. So for it is, me, it is getting taken down. For me. It's not getting taken down. It's putting yourself there. It's taking yourself down. It's taking the fight down. But here's my thing. Whether yeah. it's a takedown, whether it's a guard pull, I don't care. Like you're controlling where the fight, you're dictating where the fight takes place. But what's important is what you do with it. So if you take someone down and do nothing with it, I don't give you much credit for that. Well, but if, if you, you pull guard and don't do much with it, I don't give you much credit for that. But here's the thing. And you know that this is how the scoring works. If you pull guard and you do nothing with it, you are automatically you are going to lose the round. Depending on what you're doing. No, no, no. Well, I just said if you do nothing with it, that's part of the criteria here. If you pull guard and you do nothing with it, you are going to lose the round. There is no question. If right. you take sure, somebody sure. down and you do nothing with it and your opponent does nothing, you are going to win the round. Right, but Craig, that's not that's not what happens with him. Yeah, he doesn't but, just. But the point is, is that a guard pull is a sacrifice. If you do it and you don't get something done with it, you are putting yourself in a position where you are going to start losing the fight automatically because you didn't do something with it, and that's not true of a takedown. I would say more often than not, I can agree with that. But the what the way Craig uses it is he he's threatening with submissions. Sure, sure, he is. But that's you I, know. I'll also say that I didn't give him a single round. 
No, I didn't, I didn't give Craig a single round. The second one strike lands that's clean and flush, you're losing, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that's part of it. I mean, and also, too, like, if you get hit and you pull guard, I'm just going to assume you got hurt. Like, I don't care. You you have to show me that you did not get hurt by that strike. Because if you get hit and you drop down to your back, I, I'm not going to say it's always a knockdown, but I am going to assume that that strike really hurt you. You know? Eh, there's, 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 there's guard pulls and there's flops, right? And there like were a the, couple over flops the, in here. There were a lot of flops. And yeah. the longer the fight went, the more it went from a guard pull to a flop. Yeah. And I don't respect the flops. I'll respect a guard pull. I don't respect flops. Yeah. It, it's just one of, it's a body language thing. And yeah, you know, if you're putting yourself in a position body language wise, where it looks like you might be losing, you just can't ex- expect judges to like go through and be like, well, you know, he got hit by that right hook, but he's been pulling guard a lot. So when he dropped to the mat and then he rolled for a leg and didn't get close to it and then ate two more right hands and he's uh, bleeding, and, and he's bleeding, I'm going to be like, yeah, that guard pull was pretty interesting, though. I'm going to be like, no, that was you are way behind in this round now and you have to dig yourself out of a massive hole. Yeah, I mean, I will always, always hold damage in the highest regard. Like, you yeah. have to. Yeah, I'm just saying you that have it, to. guard pulling in that way can often, it makes damage look worse. You're, you're, yeah. You are only hurting your own case, which is, like, I'm fine with people pulling guard. I, if you can make it work, it is fun. It is a fun wrinkle that should always be in fighting. We should have people brave enough to try it. Um, Mason Jones did that tonight. He pulled yeah. guard ineffectively. Yeah. yeah. And surprisingly. Give give it a shot. See what you can make work. But just, you know, also know if, I, if I'm that person's coach, I'm going to be like, you got to know if you're doing this and you don't get the sub, you're losing. Yeah. And that's that's Paul Craig's career, right? Yeah. Like he's not going to be shooting double legs. He's not going to be, you know. Right. He, he, he tries, but he doesn't have any drive on the them. one it's single leg. Thing. The one single leg he went for here resulted in him getting busted open by elbows. Yeah. He 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 does like he's actually kind of quick on his entries, but he doesn't have any hip drive. So that when once he gets in on he got in on Volkanovski's hip, there was a point where Ozdemir just like leaned back a little and just like didn't even try to move away from Craig with Craig like wrapped with his heart arms connected around Ozdemir's hips. And it was just like leaned on him and stuffed the takedown cold and mm-hmm. Craig had to pull guard. There's, there's a weird that's also, lack that's of, just a, of, yeah. It was his willingness to be on his back. Like yeah. he's, he's fine bailing at a takedown at the slightest bit of resistance. Yeah. And that's not the greatest thing in MMA. Like there was this one, I think it was in the third round, but uh, Craig did his little, you know, half-hearted shot and then, transitioned into his guard pull or flop it's more it was more of a flop and Ozdemir was just punching him in the face the whole time to the ground yeah and i'm just like man this is just getting worse and worse and worse for paul craig yeah i think i hope craig goes out and submits like three more people because it's it's hilarious and fun and light heavyweights need a reminder that the their grappling is bad we need this we need the you know Jamal Hills out there telling it telling Paul Craig that Craig can't handle his ground game 
to 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 get the, that kind of rude awakening. So think, you know what? Maybe he should fight Gustafson. <sighs> I don't want. I mean, like I say, I would just pick Craig in an instant. No question. I st- I kind of want to see it. I'm okay. not gonna lie. They tried to book it, see so it. maybe they'll book it again. Oh, they did. Yeah, that was the fight before Rothwell that Gustafson was supposed to be in, and uh, Gustafson pulled out. I think, or was it Craig that pulled out? Let's see, uh, Craig. He was fo- Gustafson was scheduled to fight Paul Paul Craig on September fourth of last year. However, oh, Gus got he injured. Gus withdrew due to injury, and then he went up to he- back up to heavyweight. Was supposed to fight Ben Rothwell, and Ben Rothwell was like, you know what, just cancel my contract instead. And then Gustafson was back down at light heavyweight all of a sudden, which is why I was saying, like, I just have all all kinds of concerns for Gustafson. No fight of the night tonight, we were just told uh, by our producer. Which makes sense, because there wasn't. (laughs) There really wasn't. And um, Did all the finishers get bonuses? I don't know. We'll find out here in a minute, I'm sure. That brings us, though, to a lightweight bout. Okay, all, all the finishers did get bonuses. So Jonathan Pierce... Molly McCann, Nikita Krylov, and uh, Patty the Bat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Ludovic Klein, Mason Jones, and um, man, I think Mason Jones had exactly the right game plan. He had the right idea. He had everything laid out ahead in front of him, and he just. He couldn't execute. Credit to Klein. I think he all he recognized the the problems he's had in the past with getting trapped on the cage, getting trapped in the clinch. He was lighter on his feet. He was quicker to try to reverse positions to get away from the, the cage. And otherwise, he was just too fast and too sharp for Jones. And Jones didn't have the tools to enter the pocket. And so he just kept trying to leap in and got caught with big counters over and over. Yeah, and he got dropped there in the, in the beginning of the second round, yep. which is pretty slick. It was a nice little one-two. It wasn't a one-two. It was a two-piece, but it was like a right-left. Mm-hmm. I think they were both hooks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, not the best fight in the world. We did have some some cool moments. Yeah, but... there was a jumping head kick from Klein that he landed. Right, that was super cool, a little karate kid style. Yeah. And like we said, Mason Jones did jump guard there in the third round for some yeah. reason. Like, yeah, man, he, trying something. I, I thought I thought he might have gotten the first round of this, which made that really stupid in my eyes because there was a chance for him to just press Klein to the cage to pressure to make this fight ugly and steal the third round. And instead, he pulled guard and just got dominated for the rest of it. But he didn't he didn't win the first round on any judges' card, so it didn't matter anyway. Yeah, not not the best fight. Nope. Good win for Klein, though. Like I said, I think I think Jones came out with exactly the right game plan to try to beat him, and so it's a good win for Klein to show up and show that he can fight off that kind of fight. That somebody coming out just looking to pressure and clinch and get his back to the cage and make the fight hard. That Klein didn't, you know, he lost that same fight to to, to Nate Landwehr just like last year at featherweight. So winning it this time, I think it's a good look for him. Yeah. I mean, he definitely looked much more polished out there than yeah. Jones did. That's for sure. 
That brings us to a lightweight bout. Mark Diakese, Demir Hadzovic, and um, less surprise this time from the booth that Diakese came out looking to wrestle. Still a little bit of like, man, this isn't who Diakese is. I'm interested. It's These are really showing developments in his game and all that. And like, once again, please understand this is a guy who hit like four takedowns in his second fight in the UFC and has been had a grinding wrestling game as the backbone of his style all his career. Um, not a surprise it came out against Hadzovic here, but I will say I do blame Diakese just a little bit for how unholy bad this fight was because he had Hadzovic positionally dominated for every second of this fight and did not get anything done with it at all. I, I'm I'm not even going to fault him. Like, eh. super intelligent, high fi Q, and being someone who, you know, he's tasted three losses in a row. Like, he knows what yeah. that feels like, and he has no desire to go back to that. And so, you know, he lost those two fights to Alves and Fiziev, and he has no no kind of desire to lose again. So he did everything in his power to maintain control, and he was super dominant. And having that kind of intelligent fight, I, I can't – like I hated watching it, right? But like I was saying earlier, as a coach, if I'm his coach, I'm like, bravo, like bravo, flawless yeah, victory. I'm like, just saying that if, if if you're trying to make sure that you win – doing something like submitting your opponent is like is a much safer way to secure a victory than just holding them in place for three rounds. Yeah, but D Casey he's not a he's not really a submission artist. Like he can oh. wrestle. He's a, he's a good yeah. wrestler, but like if you look at his record, no, I know. One rear naked choke back in 2014 and that's might be it, man. Like he's not a that's not who he is. I know. I'm just saying if if I'm looking for, you know, somebody how many years in now, uh, nine years into their career to like add wrinkles to their game, you know, it would be good if he's going to just be a blanket to be a blanket with some like a ground, a mean ground and pound game would be nice. Well, maybe he saw that fight that uh, Hadzvik had with Moicano and didn't didn't want to. Uh, upset him like that again yeah i guess i don't know it's it's one of those things where like at some point being that just blanketing becomes not fighting smart because like you have all of these chances to not have to fight this guy anymore to find some way to hurt this person to put them away to do actual damage of some sort in this fight and you're not taking any of those chances which means that you have to start every round again with them on the feet you have to find another takedown and he did it it's fine i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna hate it out of the building but it is the kind of thing that if he loses what his next fight the ufc's probably just gonna cut him no way no way i mean he is he is in he is he is putting himself in some fitch territory out there right now yeah, and look how long Fitch was around. And Fitch got to a title doing that. He did. He did. But I, I like like it's not fun to watch. It's not entertaining. Yeah. But it's 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 very winning. It's it like he's winning. He's dominantly winning. So he's beat two guys that can't wrestle at all. So it, it 
it will be interesting to see how he gets booked after this and what kind of fight he has to have. You Let know? him fight someone that can wrestle. Yeah, put him in there with Grant. Put him in there with Grant Dawson or Marco Madsen. Oh, Marco Madsen. That's that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah, like I like yeah. it. Why not? It's like it's like it's like we were saying with the co-main event about how like if you can't cut off the cage, that's your fault. Yeah. If Hadzovic can't get space, that's his fault. I mean, Hadzovic. Yeah. He is doing just enough positionally I, to where Dia Casey wasn't getting stood up by the ref. He wasn't stalling. Like Dia Casey always had something else to be doing to reestablish position or maintain position. It, it it is you know I'm not I I am more mad with Hadzovic. I just don't think Hadzovic is going to be in the UFC any longer. So I don't have a lot of anger to really have to spare him. But it is one of those things where like with the the Hermanson fight. He's always he was outlanding Curtis the whole way. You know, Curtis can say what he wants about like running and stuff, but Hadzovic is out there like he he's the one rocking Curtis. Curtis is the one getting warned for turning his back on his opponent. This is you know for Diakese, it really the the pure positional top control is just a little bit more like it's boring. It's boring. You have all of this opportunity to create that you're not taking that you could create safely too. Like you don't have to open yourself up to losing position to to land lots and ground ground and pound when you are have somebody locked down in half guard for a whole round. You know. No, I totally understand. The it's boring. It's not yeah. fun to watch, but it's it's, it's a clean win. It's dominant. It, it gets him his win bonus. Yeah, it puts him on a two fight winning streak. It it. it, it I feel it, like I'm sticking up for him. Like the fight you sucked. Are. You the are fight. Sticking. The fight stuck. It sucked. I yeah. I just understand the I, the need to win. I get it too. And maybe if like they po- they posited this in the commentary, like, you know, maybe he just gets a couple wins under his belt and he'll like open things up again because he'll feel like he's in a more secure place. I can get that. You know, he D Kissy was writing he, he was writing two straight losses and that was you know, he's had a three fight losing skid before in the UFC too. So he's you know, he's maybe been, this- he's been He's been guillotined twice, so yeah. maybe positionally he, he just puts an emphasis on just maintaining that control so he doesn't get caught yeah. in another guillotine. Like if 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 the guys he's fighting don't like it, then they need to do something yeah. to defeat it. No, I I I, I also un- understand that. I'm just it sucked. It sucked it and it sucked. was no it was fun. Super boring. Super boring. All right. Let's get to a fight that didn't suck. Nathaniel Wood. Charles Rosa, and um, this was really just kind of sparring practice for Wood out there. He tuned Rosa up for two whole rounds of that fight, and then I kind of feel, I almost feel like Wood just must have felt bad for Rosa in the third, because he just basically coasted out that round. No, I think he was tired. Yeah, I might have been tired too. I thought he was he was tired and a little discouraged from this Terminator standing in front of him that was just getting beat to a pulp, but still getting up and coming after him. And it was a bit of a FIQ test too, because there was yeah. plenty of times where Wood could have followed Rosa to the ground, but he was like, you know what? 
if Charles were to ever win this fight, it was going to be with a, yeah. a, 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 a you know flash submission. So let me not engage in that realm with him. Yeah, you're and, supposed to TKO on him with low kicks too. That is exactly the time to just be like, no, just wave this guy back up and just keep chopping that leg down. Exactly. Super smart performance from Wood. Right out of the gate, he he showed his superior striking, just way more polished, much much faster hand speed. Wood was just on fire. I love the way he was coupling his hands with his calf kicks. By the end of the third, Rosa really was a one-legged fighter out there. I mean, the saving grace for Rosa here was just his uh, his ability to fight from either stance. Like, yeah. if, if Rosa wasn't someone who was so ambidextrous with his striking, he probably would have gotten taken out. But his ability to fight southpaw or orthodox, I, I think, is what allowed. And his sheer toughness, let's not yeah. undersell that. The chin. Like, Rose is one of the toughest out there. Uh, and he just kept getting up and kept getting up. And, and you know, how I was, like, saying earlier how, you know, if Curtis wanted to flip the bird, he should have done it in the fight. Well, you know, Rosa didn't flip the bird, but he was the one like, hey, come on, yeah. point yeah. at the center, like, let's go, let's go. And trying to draw out an ugly fight, which is what he needed to do because yep. he was – outgunned in the technique department so all the credit to rosa for the heart and determination and toughness but wood is just next level he's just yep. a different classifier altogether one of the, one of the better decision performances on the card all right that brings us to a featherweight bout jonathan pierce makwan amirkani this was a two true outcome fight going in and makwan amirkani had his shot Mm-hmm. He had that moment in the first round where he's got he's on that front headlock chain, and you're like, oh man, Pierce left his neck out there. Can Amir Khani do something with it? And then he didn't. And at that point, you're like, well, that's that's Amir Khani's chance, and now he's just going to get beat up. And Pierce went out <laughs> there and put it on him to a TKO in the second round. Not not a real telling fight for anything other than that Pierce had good enough sub-defense to avoid the big error that he could have made and come back and win the fight. I think Amir Khani and Paul Craig must hang out. (laughs) They die on very similar hills. Uh, At least Craig can go. Amir Khani, he is just a one-round fighter. Like, that is just it. It is what it is. It will forever be that way. JSP, uh, you know he can strike too like he yep. enough to to fight off amir Khani. and you know he did get away with some fouls he did grab the cage egregiously sure. at one point that yep. could have likely uh, prevented amir Khani from improving his position which ultimately led to him getting pounded out but he was he also landed some elbows to the spine and some punches to the back of the head but i don't think that really played much of a factor no. here i think once amir Khani couldn't get that dars in the first it was you it know, was just a matter he, of he knew it was. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But well, you can just see it. You can just, I mean, you, you just see the fight leave Americani after the yep. first round. Yep. Time for, time for, uh, time for Pierce to fight somebody else on, on the rise, somebody else with like some momentum to him. Um, you know, I'd love to see him in there against like Lerone Murphy or even Hakeem Dewadu or something like that, where it's mm. just like, you know, you've you've won four straight fights in the featherweight division right now, but you're not beating anybody with any of their own momentum. And uh, I need to see that at this point. You know, Mean Hakeem. I like that one. Yeah, that's good. All right. 
for Omnia Connie. Hopefully they don't cut him because Bisping was just like, man, this guy told me just the you know before his last fight that if he ever gets cut from the UFC, he has nothing else in his life, and it's just like uh, I don't want to hear. That. Well, no, that was because he was on that three fight losing skid, so a fourth would have been it for him. So I think yeah. uh, choking out Gundy or Grundy was uh, I got him an extension. Yeah, well, it, it did get him an extension, but. Do, you know, the, getting an extension is no guarantee that you stay. Like the UFC, you know, we just saw, saw an interview from John Dodson where he's like, "Yeah, I just signed an extension with the UFC, and then I lost a fight, and they cut me." Like, well, yeah, true. I'm just saying, I I hope that this performance doesn't change his UFC prospects. Because I, I mean, he's a live by the sword, die by the sword fighter. I may know that if he doesn't get the finish in round one, he's gonna. He's going to get uh, TKO'd. Well, that's or... another thing, too, Zane. Like, if he's winning, he's at least getting the submissions. So yeah, he's they're not going to cut. They're like... not cutting finishers like that. Dotson doesn't finish people. It's true. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Muhammad Mokayev, Charles Johnson. And, um, yeah, I mean, this, <sighs> this wasn't. He, Mokayev met, did he even exceed maybe the record for takedowns in a three-round flyweight fight? I know he tied it. I'm not he, sure. He, he exceeded it. Got he got 12. So he set That's the record for takedowns in a, in a flyweight fight. I would be lying if I said that this was a otherwise impressive fight. It was... It was very clearly dominant for Mokayev in his realm but no strikes, no submission attempts, and very, for a lot, large stretches of it, very little time actually controlling Johnson on the mat. Now, of course, that's down to Johnson, A, his quality of ability to scramble back to his feet, and B, his lack of ability to figure out how to break a body lock from a very, somebody who's got a very, very, very good one. I don't discredit that. But it ended up being a a pretty sticky fight, you know. There's, there's you gotta a, you gotta look at the division too. Like it's really yeah. hard to hold flyweights down. It is. That's just the fact of the matter. It is. Uh, so how how this style will age remains to be seen. I mean, yeah. it's 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 almost like um, Devashvili. Devashvili, like, yeah. Yeah, it's much like his style, but you know, at flyweight. It just kind of doesn't fly where everyone yeah. is had everyone's super athletic. It's just so so much harder to hold them down. Yeah, you're only you can only put 125 pounds on them. And s- strength is something that it's it doesn't scale linearly. It's not like, oh, if you're a 20, 125 pound man, you're half as strong as a 250 pound man. You might only be two thirds as strong, you know, but right. it's not that kind of thing where it's just like, oh, you know, that. The, the the strength is just totally it's, if you're 125 pounds and you only have to lift 125 pounds there's a reason that a lot of flyweights don't get held down that easily it's a lot less mass to move around yeah um, so i mean but this i this might be a good lesson for mokayev to learn and yeah. you can't you can't just because he's been breezing through people right he's been breezing through people but i have i have had this sneaking suspicion in the back of my hand that head that he's not as strong and as physically dominant as 
all of his amateur experience and regional experience led him to believe. You know, he's fighting a lot of well, guys. I mean, who don't he is, have the same standard of athleticism that they're gonna in the UFC. He's he, he was out there hitting multiple suplexes. So he, I mean, he he is strong. He is strong, but it's not. It's not. You know, I'm just saying that like. He doesn't immediately like Dvalish really is like actually a powerhouse, you know. Right. Mokaev, there's a lot of technique in what he does to have to get to make something work. And sometimes he can still hit some impressive things. It's just I don't see him go I don't see him out there like uh Davis and Figueredo where I'm just like, man, this dude is a power beast at flyweight, you know. Right. Like compared to the division. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean when I say like it's. I'm curious to see how this style will, yeah. will do against because like this is, you're not going to go much lower than than Charles Johnson, right? No, no. It's only going to get harder from here, and I feel like he's going to need to to he's going to need to showcase some other some other wrinkles in his game. He needs to showcase some more striking. I didn't see enough of his striking out here for me to be sold on a, on a well-rounded ability to flourish at the top of 125. I like how you, need, you have to do that. You got to yeah. you got to be well-rounded at the top. Yeah. You know, I like how I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I was say I like how opportunistic he is. I like how how ready he is from the jump. I think that's a big thing from all of his amateur experience is that he's a dude who the moment he enters the cage, he's already totally keyed in with his timing and his strikes. Like he shocked Johnson right away with some hard kicks and punches into the first clinch tie up for takedowns. Mm-hmm. There's no hesitation in what he does, which I think is great. It's just, you know, like, there, there, there were clear technical dif- differences between what he did and what Diakese did, but as a product to watch, there was not, there weren't that many differences, you know. At least we got some suplexes, though. That's always su- going to be yeah. fun to watch. We got some suplexes. We got some creative technical wrestling changeups in there that were nice to see, but there was also just a lot of single leg vine back body lock holding position on Charles Johnson while he stood against the cage. Yeah, you know. but what I was saying is, is it's much more harder, much more difficult to be one dimensional the lower in weight you are. Yeah, yeah. like much you can more. be Curtis Blades at heavyweight and school people in wrestling. You can be Paul Craig at two hundred five and you know pull out this funky guard pulling game, like things like that. Just it's not going to pass. The you can't do that at bantamweight. No. Like if if you're not one hundred percent well rounded at the top of bantamweight, you're getting nuked. Yeah. And and flyweight's not much different. No, so I'm interested. I I don't hate the performance, but it is one of those things where it's just like, okay, well, let's you know, let's test you a little further up the division. What happens if you get in there with Tajiru Lambakov? You know, what happens if you get in there with uh, Jeff Molina or Tim Elliott? I'm I'm interested to find out. You know. Yeah, for sure. All right, that brings us to a. Jai, uh, lightweight bout, Jai Herbert, Kyle Nelson, and um, a really weird fight. Bro, honestly. I don't even remember this fight. Like, all I can remember from this is a bunch of clinching. Yeah. This like, is jockeying of, for position and, cl- and and just clinching against the cage. This fight was really weird just because Herbert has, he's, you know, he, he has a huge, he has a 77-inch reach as a lightweight just massive reach and he's always depended on that 
And Nelson has been kind of a pocket puncher, wrestle boxer kind of dude for his career. And Nelson came out with a kicking game, and I think it just totally shocked Herbert. Herbert, he definitely, he looked afraid to pull the trigger. Maybe afraid's not the right word, but he just seemed hesitant to pull the trigger. He got knocked out real bad against Ilya Tapuria, and I think that definitely had him hesitating. And then, like I say, Nelson came out with this, like, body, head, low-kicking game, just throwing big power kicks to the body and legs, especially. And I think it really put Herbert into a weird place to start this fight. And then unfortunately for Nelson, the book on him has always kind of been that he will, he, even as a victim of his own success, he will slow down and get tired. Mm -hmm. And he kind of slowed down and got tired and Herbert started taking over the clinch and taking over, uh, You know, I think he even may have secured some top control late in that fight. Yeah, in the third round, Nelson botched the takedown and ended up on the bottom. But this was a shit fight. This was it was it was was just a weird fight where both men fought against type, and Herbert came out with the win for it. So, all right, we'll move on. Victoria Leonardo, Mandy Bohm, really a slog. Um, (laughs) Bohm just. Good for Leonardo. She looked confident again after... Apparently, she'd broken her arm in each of her first two UFC fights, which I did not realize. Yeah, I had just I watched them and, be like, and was like, man, she gets rattled in these fights really easily. But apparently, she broke her arm in both fights. Um, this fight, she didn't. And she looked confident again, reasonably, at least. And... Bohm is a lanky striker without a range striking game and kept clinching with Leonardo and couldn't control the clinch and just got outworked. That was it. I don't think there's much more to add to that. No, no. Let's move on. All the way down, opening bout of the card, Nicholas Dalby, Claudio Silva, and uh, this was a pretty fun fight. Silva came out. He got an instant takedown. He spent the first round with Dalby in all kinds of trouble. Dalby scrambled well, though. Silva got tired, and Dalby just started taking over over the latter half of this fight. And, uh, you know, it was a fun, scrappy, really, like, heart, you know, heart-forward fight from Dalby. So I'm happy to see him get the win. Yeah, pretty gritty performance. He was in some yep. really bad spots in the first, and, you know, classic Silva going hard early on. His positional control was great, but if he's not getting that submission, like, he's going to tire himself out. And yep. Dolby took full advantage of that. He weathered the early storm long enough to get his strikes going and took over the fight, got yep. himself a win. Great to see for Dolby. Rough place for Silva to be in. He's just about 40. He has not been an active fighter for a long time. And these days he's now had three fights in the last three years where he just has not been able to get his grappling game to keep his grappling game going. And he's gotten tired and he's gotten beat every time. And for a dude who had a 12 year long unbeaten streak, suddenly he hasn't had a win in three years. Yeah, dude has a split decision win over Leon Edwards. Yeah. That was in 2014. My how things have changed. Yeah, yeah. So rough place to be for Claudio Silva at this point in his career. 
All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these anytime. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast, Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. We'll be back in one week's time for UFC 277, Pena versus Nunez 2. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. See you then. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Mookie and Crookie Show, the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change Podcast, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.